Hello everyone, and good evening. Thank you again for joining us yet again for another session of The Pitman Sculptor. We are now on session three of this wonderful Apocalypse Keys miniseries here on Speculate, uh, joined with our lovely friends from que Queen's Court Games, who I'm very excited to play and get into more shenanigans with in just a little bit. We have been uh, through a great deal so far, and I'm very excited for us to hopefully clean up the mess that we have made. But before that, uh, obviously, uh, a bit of housekeep housekeeping notes. A reminder to everyone that you can support Speculate on all the lovely content that we make by checking out the website at speculatesf.com or joining us at patreon.com slash speculate. We are very slowly aiming to grow and gain more resources so we can make even more cool things like this for you at the level of quality necessary for it to be as entertaining and valuable to you as possible. So if you can support us, and of course also support Queen's Court Games, who also makes a great deal of lovely stuff as well, you would be doing all of the wonderful AP that we make and strive to make in the uh, upcoming year a great favor. So please, definitely do that. But... As we prepare to dive back into the mystery of the Pitman Sculpture, I would like to let I would like to ask all of these lovely people to please let everyone know who you are, what you do, and who you will be playing this evening. Starting with Mike. Hello, everybody. I'm Mike. Uh, I use they or he pronouns. I'm one of the co-hosts of Speculate, along with Brandon and Greg. I am an author, game designer, and actual play person here. Uh, my latest book is actually Candela Obscura, which is a tabletop role-playing game by uh, Darrington Press that I contributed to and did some consulting on. It is an investigative horror game, and you can find out more about it at Darrington Press slash Candela. Um, I am playing Tempo, the last, who is kind of fish-out-of-water superhero who has been, quote-unquote, saddled with the, the, the loser team of monsters who in fact are awesome and wonderful and all deserving of love. And that's me. Next, Yoi. Hello. Uh, welcome to this evening, because I presume it is an evening in which you are hearing this. I am Yoi Gawain Lin. I am a game and fiction writer. My pronouns are he, they. And tonight, essentially, I am playing Hamalio. And apocalyptic cinnamon roll... I guess is the best way of putting it. This indeed is a very succinct way of putting it. Next, Aaron. Hi, hello. I am Aaron. I uh, like to call myself a writer, but I found out recently that in order to do that, you actually have to write. So let me get back to you on what it is I do. Uh, I'm the forever GM over at Queen's Court Games, horror storyteller, and general actual play uh, thinker pedant. That's me. I am playing John slash Jane, the blank-faced empath who is a, uh, a sum total average of every human being on the planet mm -hmm. uh, and i'll gently push back on that writer note if the only way to become a writer is to actually write i think only one of the five of us is a writer and it's not even me either so that's also uh, i reject that idea on its face but still <laughs> i did not mean to call people out <laughs> how dare and last but not least aubrey Hello, I'm Aubrey. I use she or her pronouns. Uh, I usually find me over at Queen's Court doing all the technical directy things and 
playing and running games. Uh, and I'm also the co-producer and uh, the GM over at Goblets and Gaze. And tonight I play uh, Ciara, your local pyromaniac with a nice, neat new sword collection. Who also uses she, her pronouns. Mm-hmm. I forgot you had a cursed sword. Yeah, sword <laughs> things happened. We're going to get to that very quickly at some point. But as for me, I'm Brandon O'Brien, and I keep the keys so you don't have to. I am one of the co-hosts of Speculate and a writer, poet, and game designer from Trinidad and Tobago. And I am here with the sole purpose of ensuring that the shenanigans become more catastrophic for all of these lovely monsters. So we should get right into that. As uh, our uh, lovely representatives of the post office, the lowliest branch of division, have gotten closer to the Pitman Sculpture, they eventually discover the two nerds who just bought it on the internet on a lark, who are surprised and frightened that they're being followed, at which point they reveal that they've been being followed the entire time, and not by this group. At which point, all hell breaks loose at the hotel where everyone is staying, where several members of the Beatographs come to claim the Pitman Sculpture in a very messy fashion and have laid waste to most of the police officers who are present in an attempt to escape. Ciara blew a hole through the hotel wall. There is, like... Piles of gold and jewelry and broken trees everywhere that the Beatographs made in order to escape you. And now, having survived the ordeal, the post office now, the post office representatives now have the Pitman sculpture in a glass case and also are surrounded by dead or injured police officers and a broken building that they now have to answer for. And we're immediately going to get into that by first checking in with Tempo. Tempo, you have a, an opening move for the session, yes? Yes. So I have the move A Flickering Hope. At the start of each session, describe a memory you have of your people. Choose to speak with love, sorrow, or both. Say what you hope for, spend darkness tokens, and roll. So I'm going to build on the memory from the end of last session where the kind of consuming psionic horde threatened the Relayum, and the Relayum created weapons such as the Blade of Psionic Annihilation. We're going to jump back to the time when Tempo had to last use a Blade of Psionic Annihilation as the kind of non-military leader of a what was effectively a militia group that formed in the vacuum of like broader top-down organization because the consuming horde known as the noise came over the relayum very like suddenly and tempo being kind of an exemplar among their people reached forward in time for a weapon to get the Blade of Psionic Annihilation at that point, which was then used to reverse engineer a pattern so that others could make it. And we see now that the blade that they reach for has a same identifying mark that Tempo has just grabbed from the past. There is a, a like 
a, a small fracture or a fuller down the blade. And we see Tempo basically cutting through hordes of um, like silvery yellow metallic, too many limbed insects with wings that go in directions that they shouldn't, and a psionic hum that can be described as nothing more than just a pervasive headache. And this memory for for Tempo is all sorrow, even though they are fighting on behalf of their people, because they are having to deal death en masse. And they like they're going to this because they hope that they will never have to kill on that scale again for any reason. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um and I'm gonna spend two tokens and roll. That is a perfect hit. So okay. on an eight to ten, your memory grants you an epiphany. Choose two. Describe how a fellow monster reminds you of someone from your past. Gain one bond with them. Describe how the tragedy of your people haunts you. Gain one bond with what the darkness demands. Describe the long overture of the apocalypse and how it claimed your people. Uncover a key. So because I get two, I'm going to take a bond with what the darkness demands because we see in this moment and Tempo realizes in this moment, looking down at the blade, that they may have in fact created a paradox. I was about I was about to ask if that was a possibility that happened. Because yeah. that's the same sword that you have right now. Right. Which so, means that this sword has never been made before. That sure seems possible, doesn't it, Brandon? Who knows? Maybe we'll find out. I, yes. I am very excited to find out. So the other, other choice I'm going to do is describe the long overture of the apocalypse and how it claimed your people. We get then a um, flashing montage of more and more threats, internal and external, where the Relayim are drawing more deeply on their void magic and their temporal manipulation. And it's just, here's an excuse to go a little bit further. It's desperate enough, we have to go a little bit further. And actions like the ones that Tempo has now taken, like bookends, are that overture. But that gives us a key. So I would ask you, Brandon, what what key might kind of occur to Tempo or emerge from this bookending? <laughs> so I love manifesting keys for Tempo as you are attempting to witness one thing in time and then time interrupts you. So we're going to do that again. So you are... You have now come back out in the, into the front of the hotel and witnessed all of this carnage. And this memory washes upon you almost as a mirror image or a bookend of the carnage that is uh, laid out in front of you on this street. Because there was a point during the noise war where the violence was so widespread and so many uh, civilians were called to arms in order to defend against the noise that for large portions of the tail end of the war, entire uh, theaters of war would go unclared for months. That you would engage in a battle on a city street somewhere and those bodies would remain there because no one was everybody else was fighting or hiding 
and you are looking right now in this memory at a street in one of the more otherwise more bustling city centers before the noise at before the noise attacked dozens of noise and relayum both lying in the street severely injured already gone the street is quiet except for this weird buzzing and you settle on this memory for a bit trying to recall what point of the war is this and then you focus a little bit and you realize all of the relayum that are injured or dead here have not been harmed by noise you having fought in the war you know the telltale like psionic overwhelm or otherwise physical biting or scratching that they would have uh, suffered at the hands of the noise everybody here is like frozen they have these like shocked looks on their faces that seem petrified into their bodies they're all stiffly laid on the ground and that's when you remember that there was a point later on in the war where in that tension of constantly pushing against time for more resources to fight against the war, one of your superiors discovered a kind of meta-temporal weapon that had the capacity to freeze an object in its own state in time, such that it would still experience the passage of time while petrified within their own within their own body, essentially freezing an entity in time. And at first it was just like, let's make arrows that did these things, or small bolt guns that did these things, so we could aim specifically at the noise and prevent any casual any civilian casualties because we have no idea how to undo this this is kind of a dangerous weapon to just have waving around in the world and then it escalated to no we are being overwhelmed by the noise far too heavily let's just make a cannon and shoot it up streets on a regular basis Everyone here on this street is frozen. You know who's responsible. You know that you'll probably never get any of these people back. Their last moments were in terror, either of being eaten alive by the noise or never having another moment again, just frozen in the one in the one affair that they have right now. And as you're looking, your gaze kind of recenters itself into this los angeles street and then it centers itself somewhere else that you know is here roughly here being the united states and now roughly now being sometime in the recent future where you see what looks like what looks like shadows emerging from light being cast upon nearby walls or nearby uh, light poles in very early morning somewhere in the United States. But instead of being dark umbral shapes, they present as very bright iridescent shapes emerging from beneath those objects. 
And every time they touch something that is not where that otherwise shadow would have come from, they start changing those things. The wall of a jewelry store starts turning into teddy bears. A nearby baby stroller starts leaking melted gold and starts deforming until it's no longer there and the mother starts grabbing their baby up out of what is now liquid metal and running away. It just keeps touching things and turning them into weirdly ornate things all of a sudden. And you get this impression that that's not going to stop. That it's a thing that once it starts happening, there is no physical force that can undo it. It needs to stop on its own. And you watch it in this manner of seconds in this vision. But for you, passing out over days, you see these shadows start consuming everything that it can touch. Until... Only a few shadow-casting objects remain because nothing remains to touch them. And streets are as desolate then as they are now. But in the place of petrified relayum, you see bankers and teachers who have turned into golden statues. Or piles of jewelry or weird expressionist paintings where you know someone or someone's car or someone's house or some or all the things that make up the weird collections of our lives have now been reduced to all of these otherwise Beautiful, in scare quotes, things. And it immediately strikes you as like a solid thought in your brain. The Beatographs care so much about beauty, they are willing to destroy the world in order to have more of it. Beauty for beauty's sake, and not for not even for their own. Okay, so to be specific, the the key is the iridescence or beauty for beauty's sake, or both? I'll give you both. Okay. And do we know the complexity of this mystery, which is part of kind of the mechanics in unlocking Death, um, Doom's door? Did I tell you that already? I have that in a note somewhere. Yeah, we can come back to it, but probably not. Don't want to wait too long since we've got nine yes. keys now. Mm-hmm. But yes, those are the those are the keys that you have now discovered. Okay. As you return to the present moment, what are your thoughts now about the scene that you are still witnessing in front of you? So the the presumed beatograph person has disappeared, projected off by a massive golden tree trunk. That the goldenness of it reminds me of the kind of dangerously excessive gold in the vision of the iridescence and when like we get a kind of pov shot as if from tempo's sight and on the street that is like somewhat ravaged by chaos there is an uh, like a double image overlay of the relayum street for for just a moment until kind of tempo blinks 
and then the audio that's actually the tempo is actually hearing kind of turns up and replaces the memory of the the desolate street and they turn to the the sound which may be a civilian maybe something else okay you re-emerge in this space one of the junior police officers this guy looks fairly young overwhelmingly traumatized this like buff but obviously very scared 20 21 year old comes up to you first and goes can anyone just explain to me just what happened we were here looking for those two pointing at collins and his and his companion and then things happened Do, i don't know what to call those other guys are they was that an act of terrorism was i i i you're probably the only person who's capable of like describing this kind of superhero level weirdness so i guess if there's anything you can tell us speaking directly to tempo and only tempo it is in fact an artifact a happening of extraordinary circumstances which i wish to protect you and your communities from if you are fearful if you fear for what is to come know that i and my team will do everything we can to protect you but now we must go go why 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 are we going where are we going apologies grammar in your language is imprecise my we is my team. You may remain here and see to the safety of your community. We, uh, um, um, uh, um, hmm. This guy's freaking out. Um, okay. What was the first time you decided that you wanted to become a protector. I, um, God, I lost my little sister in a drunk driving thing. I was still in college when it happened. I wasn't even in the state. Um, and I just wanted to. I just wanted to make sure that that stopped happening. I just wanted to be the kind of guy that saw people make mistakes and helped them realize they didn't have to make mistakes anymore. I didn't even want to be the guy with the gun. He literally lifts a hand, he literally lifts his sidearm out of his pocket and throws it into the pile of rubies that was his immediate superior. I have not been on this world especially long. But if this form of protector does not suit you, there are others, and you may yet protect so that others do not suffer the loss that you have suffered. I am sorry for that loss, and I share in your grief. Grief shared is grief reduced, and we shall carry it with us so that we may use it to protect others. Now I must go. Okay, um, he takes out his police business card and hands it to you if there's anything you need to let us know so we can respond to this i guess 
and then he looks around a bit like he's confused as to what his next plan of action should be there is nothing in the guidebook for how to respond to this and immediately just kind of walks off into a, a random direction where some of his other injured or dead colleagues are as you are headed towards the group uh sierra yeah you also have a beginning of session move i do not nearly as involved as Tempo's is. Mine is called My Hands Around Your Heart. And at the start of each session, I choose another PC to be your heart and share the burden of your power with. And say why they hope, uh, why you hope they will save you from what darkness demands. And for the session, I will choose Tempo um, and sort of the idea of they inspire me to be better to push past the darkness. Uh, you are still in the front of the hotel, right? Yes, I am. Cool. Temple, who are you approaching first out of the rest of your team? It, is Hamaliel still wreaking, wreaking havoc on the other side of the building, or did that end? Oh, that ended. No. That was also in front. Okay. That was before the, the Beatographs fled. Yes, I am in the front of the hotel with Ciara, and I like to imagine that Hamaliel is quite socially foolishly like playing with the rubies that the lead cop used to be um they're just kind of mixing it around and poking it because they are fascinated they are the law of dissolution and this guy literally dissoluted into rubies that's not something organic life does huh the law sure changed once they died mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they're just basically mucking around in this and like clearly taking up a handful to put in their pocket for later to study or mess with. Yeah, I think Tempo looks for um, Jane at first because uh, he's the one who is, is supposed to have the sculpture. Yeah, and you can tell because um, Jane is wearing the same hoodie that they have worn literally every time you've met them. And... The hands are still in the pocket, but there is a very suspicious statue-shaped bulge, like, right in the chest region. While they are using the gloves to, you know, go, I don't know how you clean up this kind of place. I suppose if left to their own devices, it'll be a moment where, like, one glove off-screen is just reaching over to Hamaliel and being like, eh, maybe not. And just, like, a slow, a slow tap on the hands. But aside from that, yeah. Doing the thing where I've got one of the swords sort of, like, up over my shoulder, you know? Just sort of, like, yeah, we did good. Mm -hmm. Which I will qualify another thing because I didn't get to qualify it before, but for the purposes of making them as cool as possible, I'm going to qualify now. This sword is as big as a gunblade. Yes! So in um, whatever reaction uh, John is having to any of this is not on their face, both literally, but also just no sense of, of remorse or sadness, but also like joy, just, just flatlined. So uh, as tempo as you're approaching... The one hand that is not currently occupied, uh, pointing at the chest, like, looking for this. If the item is secure, we should fall back to a secure location and sh share information. Amalia loses the pantomime fight with Jane's gloved hand. First, she tried to put the rubies into the glove like put into the wrist hole of the glove and then tried to put it in the palm of the glove. And then when the hand smacked their hand, they're like, oh, okay. 
puts the rubies back on the ground. So then as the conversation is finishing with tempo, it does like, come on. <laughs> bottle, bottle, bottle. Colin's colleague hears you all have this conversation and immediately calls out to you all. So what about us? What about all the money we spent? What about everything that just happened to us? You're just going to leave us high and dry after we almost died? Death is a natural step. You will be fine. I mean, hey, look at this way. You don't have the thing that they're searching for anymore. We gave them the card, right? The form? Yeah, there's like a... Yeah. A, 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 a basically yeah, like the lost... insurance claim form. <laughs> <laughs> the division insurance claim form. Has your life and or property been damaged by an agent? Sign this form. The accounts distributable department is very prompt and thorough. I, I have no idea what that means. And then Collins turns to him and goes, do you have any idea what the last hour has meant? And then they both just kind of shrug at each other. I As that, that happens, um, Sierra, I would like you to qualify a thing for me. Okay. Is any and is any part of the fire that you previously set set still ablaze anywhere on the property nearby? Probably some on the building itself, maybe some on the ground, because I did scorch several people into swords. So I imagine there's like probably like a couple of rings of fire where people used to be that are just kind of burning because it's that hot. As that previous conversation is happening, you see a large, angry man in a suit walk out of the flames where the other, where the swords were made. Because there are still like two swords there, it's just hanging around. Just walks out of the fire. Ciara, you're the first person to notice. Mm-hmm. Ayer is here. Uh-oh. That's unfortunate. Someone's uh -oh. about to live up to their namesake. Uh-oh. 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 Look at everyone else just being like, well, I think our job is done here. We should definitely get out of here. I agree with whatever else we said. We can discuss we can discuss this and figure this out in a, in a safe place. I tug on like the glove hand that went like this to be able to So see feel that. See Jane or see Ciara's face next to tempo. So then just kinda like 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 very I don't can you snap gloves that are empty with psionic powers? I mean okay, my rules, yes. Snaps and then it's kind of like really subtly as a subtly as a floating glove can points like past Ciara's shoulder to Ire. <laughs> we know who's in charge of talking to him, and it's none of us. <laughs> Ciara and John you see Ayo walk out of the flame, step to the side, draw a rectangle in the like large billowing flame behind him in the shape of a door mm -hmm. and the gesture the fire forward as if genuinely opening a door and then he points at Sierra and gestures towards the the open door frame. Just her? All of you. Uh, Hamaliel picks up the limo door from the ground and moves in front, holding it like uh, a siege-breaking shield. <laughs> you walk past Aya. Aya puts his pinky finger on the limo door and the entire limo door melts. Oh, You're going to have to pay for that. Get inside. 
But that was our emotional support limo door. <laughs> we gotta get another one. Oh, I'm not gonna say no. I'm obviously going to follow. Yeah. But... <laughs> As you all step through the door, you are now back in the post office. <laughs> <laughs>